0: Section forty four of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bob Gonzalez. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume Two, Section forty four. SELECTED EXCERPTS FROM THE LIGHT OF ASIA BY EDWIN ARNOLD EDWIN ARNOLD, BORN 1832 The favorite and now venerable English poet, Edwin Arnold, showed his skill in smooth and lucid verse early in life. In 1852, when twenty years of age, he won the Newdigate Prize at Oxford for a poem, The Feast of Belshazzar. Two years later, after graduation with honors, he was named second master of Edward the Sixth's school at Birmingham, and a few years subsequent, principal of the Government Sanskrit College at Pune in India. In 1856 he published Griselda, a Tragedy, and after his return to London in 1861, translations from the Greek of Herodotus and the Sanskrit of the Indian classic *Hitopadesha* the latter under the name of The Book of Good Counsels. There followed, from his pen, Education in India, A History of the Administration in India under the late Marquis of Dalhousie, 1862-64, to and The Poets of Greece, a Collection of Fine Passages, 1869. In addition to his other labors, he has been one of the editors-in-chief of the London Daily Telegraph. Saturated with the Orient, Familiar with every aspect of its civilization, moral and religious life, history and feeling, Sir Edwin's literary work has attested his knowledge in a large number of smaller poetical productions, and a group of religious epics of long and impressive extent. Chiefest among them ranks that on the life and teachings of Buddha, The Light of Asia, or The Great Renunciation, 1879, It has passed through more than eighty editions in this country, and almost as many in England. In recognition of this work, Mr. Arnold was decorated by the King of Siam with the Order of the White Elephant. Two years after its appearance, he published Mahabharata, Indian Idols, and in 1883, Pearls of the Faith, or Islam's Rosary, being the ninety-nine beautiful names of Allah, with comments in verse, From various oriental sources. In eighteen eighty six, the sultan conferred on him the imperial order of Osmanli, and in eighteen eighty eight, he was created knight commander of the Indian Empire by Queen Victoria. Sa'di in the Garden, or The Book of Love, eighteen eighty eight, a poem turning on the part of the Bostani of the Persian poet Sa'di, brought Sir Edwin the Order of the Lion and Sun from the Shah of Persia. In 1888 he published also Poems National and Non-Oriental. Since then he has written The Light of the World, Potiphar's Wife and Other Poems, 1892, The Iliad and Odyssey of Asia, and in Prose, India Revisited, 1891, Seas and Lands, Japonica, which treats of life and things Japanese, and Adzuma. THE JAPANESE WIFE, A PLAY IN FOUR ACTS, 1893. DURING HIS TRAVELS IN JAPAN, THE EMPEROR DECORATED HIM WITH THE ORDER OF THE RISING SUN. IN 1893, SIR EDWIN WAS CHOSEN PRESIDENT OF THE BIRMINGHAM AND MIDLAND INSTITUTE. HIS LATEST VOLUME, THE TENTH MUSE, AND OTHER POEMS, APPEARED IN 1895. THE LIGHT OF ASIA, THE MOST SUCCESSFUL OF HIS WORKS, attracted instant attention on its appearance, as a novelty of rich Indian local color. In substance it is a graceful and dramatic paraphrase of the mass of more or less legendary tales of the life and spiritual career of the Buddha, Prince Gautama, and a summary of the principles of the great religious system originating with him. It is lavishly embellished with Indian illusions, and expresses incidentally the very spirit of the East. In numerous cantos, proceeding from episode to episode of its mystical hero's career, its effect is that of a lofty, ethical, picturesque, and fascinating biography, in highly polished verse. The meter selected is a graceful and dignified one, especially associated with Paradise Lost and other of the foremost classics of English verse. Sir Edwin says of the poem in his preface, I have sought, by the medium of an imaginary Buddhist votary, to depict the life and character, and indicate the philosophy of that noble hero and reformer, Prince Gautama of India, the founder of Buddhism. And the poet has admirably, if most flatteringly, succeeded. The poem has been printed in innumerable cheap editions, as well as those deluxe, and while it has been criticized as too complacent a study of even primitive Buddhism, it is beyond doubt a lyrical tract of eminent utility as well as seductive charm. The Youth of Buddha from the Light of Asia This reverence Lord Buddha kept to all his schoolmasters, albeit beyond their learning taught, in speech right gentle yet so wise. Princely of mien, yet softly mannered, Modest, deferent, and tender-hearted, Though of fearless blood. No bolder horseman in the youthful band E'er rode in gay chase of the shy gazelles, No keener driver of the chariot in mimic contest Scoured the palace courts. Yet in mid-play the boy would oft-times pause, Letting the deer pass free. Would oft-times yield his half-won race Because the labouring steeds fetched painful breath. Or if his princely mates saddened to lose, Or if some wistful dream swept over his thoughts. And ever with the years waxed this compassionateness of our Lord, Even as a great tree grows from two soft leaves To spread its shade afar, But hardly yet knew the young child of sorrow, pain, or tears, save as strange names for things not felt by kings nor ever to be felt. But it befell in the royal garden on a day of spring. A flock of wild swans passed, voyaging north to their nest-places on Himala's breast. Calling in love-notes down their snowy line, the bright birds flew, by fond love piloted, and Devadatta, cousin of the prince, pointed his bow, and loosed a wilful shaft, which found the wide wing of the foremost swan broad-spread to glide upon the free-blue road, so that it fell, the bitter arrow fixed, bright scarlet blood-gouts staining the pure plumes, which, seeing Prince Siddhartha took the bird tenderly up, rested it in his lap, sitting with knees crossed as Lord Buddha sits, and, soothing with a touch the wild thing's fright, composed its ruffled vans calmed its quick heart caressed it into peace with light kind palms as soft as plantain leaves an hour unrolled and while the left hand held the right hand drew the cruel steel forth from the wound and laid cool leaves and healing honey on the smart yet all so little knew the boy of pain that curiously into his wrist he pressed the arrow's barb and winced to feel its sting, and turned with tears to soothe his bird again. Then some one came who said, My prince hath shot a swan which fell among the roses here. He bids me pray you send it, will you send? Nay, quoth Siddhartha, if the bird were dead, to send it to the slayer might be well, but the swan lives. My cousin hath but killed the godlike speed which throbbed in this white wing, and Devadatta answered, The wild thing, living or dead, Is his who fetched it down. T'was no man's in the clouds, But fallen tis mine. Give me my prize, fair cousin. Then our lord laid the swan's neck Beside his own smooth cheek, And gravely spake, Say no, the bird is mine, The first of myriad things which shall be mine By right of mercy and love's lordliness. For now I know by what within me stirs that I shall teach compassion unto men and be a speechless world's interpreter, abating this accursed flood of woe, not man's alone. But if the Prince disputes, let him submit this matter to the wise, and we will wait their word. So it was done. In full divan the business had debate, and many thought this thing and many that, till there arose an unknown priest who said, If life be aught, the saviour of a life owns more the living thing Than he can own who sought to slay. The slayer spoils and wastes, the cherisher sustains. Give him the bird! Which judgment all found just! But when the king sought out the sage for honour, he was gone, And someone saw a hooded snake glide forth. The gods come oft-times thus so our lord buddha began his works of mercy yet not more knew he as yet of grief than that one bird's which being healed went joyous to its kind but on another day the king said come sweet son and see the pleasance of the spring and how the fruitful earth is wooed to yield its riches to the reaper how my realm which shall be thine when the pile flames for me feeds all its mouths and keeps the king's chest filled fair is the season with new leaves bright blooms green grass and cries of plough time so they rode into a land of wells and gardens where all up and down the rich red loam the steers strained their strong shoulders in the creaking yoke dragging the ploughs The fat soil rose and rolled in smooth dark waves back from the plough, who drove, planted both feet upon the leaping share to make the furrow deep. Among the palms the tinkle of the rippling water rang, and where it ran, the glad earth broidered it with balsams and the spears of lemongrass. Elsewhere were sowers who went forth to sow, And all the jungle laughed with nesting songs, And all the thickets rustled with small life Of lizard, bee, beetle, and creeping things, Pleased at the springtime. In the mango sprays the sunbirds flashed, Alone at his green forge toiled the loud coppersmith, Bee-eaters hawked, chasing the purple butterflies, Beneath striped squirrels raced, The minas perked and picked, The nine brown sisters chattered in the thorn, The pied fish-tiger hung above the pool, The egrets stalked among the buffaloes, The kites sailed circles in the golden air, About the painted temple peacocks flew, The blue doves cooed from every well, Far off the village drums beat for some marriage feast. All things spoke peace and plenty, and the prince saw and rejoiced but looking deep he saw the thorns which grow upon this rose of life how the swart peasant sweated for his wage toiling for leave to live and how he urged the great-eyed oxen through the flaming hours goading their velvet flanks then marked he too how lizard fed on ant and snake on him and kite on both and how the fish-hawk robbed the fish-tiger of that which it had seized, the shrike chasing the bulbul which did chase the jewelled butterflies, till everywhere each slew a slayer and in turn was slain, life living upon death. So the fair show veiled one vast, savage, grim conspiracy of mutual murder, from the worm to man, who himself kills his fellow, seeing which. The hungry ploughman and his laboring kine, Their dew-laps blistered with the bitter yoke, The rage to live which makes all living strife, The Prince Siddhartha sighed. Is this, he said, that happy earth They brought me forth to see, How salt with sweat the peasants bread, How hard the oxen's service, In the brake how fierce the war of weak and strong, the air what plots no refuge e'en in water go aside a space and let me muse on what ye show so saying the good lord buddha seated himself under a jambu tree with ankles crossed as holy statues sit and first began to meditate this deep disease of life what its far source and whence its remedy so vast a pity filled him such wide love for living things Such passion to heal pain, that by their stress His princely spirit passed to ecstasy, And purged from mortal taint of sense and self, The boy attained thereat, Dhyana, first step of the path. THE PURE SACRIFICE OF BUDDHA From The Light of Asia Onward he passed, exceeding sorrowful, Seeing how men fear so to die, they are afraid to fear. Lust so to live, they dare not love their life. But plague it with fierce penances, Belike to please the gods who grudge pleasure to man. Belike to balk hell by self-kindled hells. Belike in holy madness, hoping soul may break the better Through their wasted flesh o flowerets of the field siddhartha said who turn your tender faces to the sun glad of the light and grateful with sweet breath of fragrance and these robes of reverence donned silver and gold and purple none of ye miss perfect living none of ye despoil your happy beauty o ye palms which rise eager to pierce the sky and drink the wind blown from malaya and the cool blue seas What secret know ye, that ye grow content, From time of tender shoot, to time of fruit, Murmuring such sun-songs from your feathered crowns? Ye too, who dwell so merry in the trees, Quick-darting parrots, bee-birds, bulbuls, doves, none of ye hate your life, None of ye deem to strain to better by foregoing needs, but man, Who slays ye, being lord, is wise, And wisdom nursed on blood, Cometh thus forth in self-tormentings. While the master spake, blew down the mount The dust of pattering feet, White goats and black sheep, winding slow their way With many a lingering nibble At the tufts, and wandering from the path Where water gleamed or wild figs hung, But always, as they strayed, the herdsman cried or slung his sling, And kept the silly crowd still moving to the plain. A ewe with couplets in the flock there was, Some hurt had lamed one lamb, Which toiled behind, bleeding, While in the front its fellow skipped, And the vexed dam hither and thither ran. Fearful to lose this little one or that, Which, when our Lord did mark, full tenderly he took the limping lamb upon his neck saying poor woolly mother be at peace whither thou goest i will bear thy care twere all as good to ease one beast of grief as sit and watch the sorrows of the world in yonder caverns with the priests who pray but spake he of the herdsman, wherefore friends drive ye the flocks adown under high noon since tis at evening that men fold their sheep. And answer gave the peasants, We are sent to fetch a sacrifice of goats five score, and five score sheep, the which our lord the king slayeth this night in worship of his gods. Then said the master, I will also go. So paced he patiently, bearing the lamb beside the herdsman in the dust and sun, the wistful ewe low bleating at his feet whom, when they came unto the river-side, a woman, dove-eyed, young, with tearful face and lifted hands, saluted, bending low. "'Lord, thou art he,' she said, "'who yesterday had pity on me in the fig-grove here, where I live lone and reared my child. "'But he, straying amid the blossoms, found a snake, "'which twined about his wrist,' while he did laugh and teased the quick-forked tongue and opened mouth of that cold playmate. But, alas, ere long he turned so pale and still, I could not think why he should cease to play, and let my breast fall from his lips. And one said, He is sick of poison, and another, he will die. But I, who could not lose my precious boy, prayed of them physic which might bring the light back to his eyes. It was so very small, that kiss-mark of the serpent, and I think it could not hate him, gracious as he was, nor hurt him in his sport. And some one said, There is a holy man upon the hill. Lo, now he passeth in the yellow robe. Ask of the Rishi if there be a cure for that which ails thy son. Whereon I came, trembling to thee, whose brow is like a god's, and wept, And drew the face-cloth from my babe, Praying thee, tell what simples might be good, And thou, great sir, didst spurn me not, But gaze with gentle eyes, and touch with patient hand, Then draw the face-cloth back, saying to me, Yea, little sister, there is that might heal thee first, And him, if thou couldst fetch the thing, For they who seek physicians bring to them what is ordained, therefore i pray thee find black mustard seed of tola only mark thou take it not from any hand or house where father mother child or slave hath died it shall be well if thou canst find such seed thus didst thou speak my lord the master smiled exceeding tenderly yea i spake thus dear Kisa Gotami. but didst thou find the seed I went, Lord, clasping to my breast the babe, grown colder, asking at each hut, here in the jungle and toward the town, I pray you give me mustard of your grace, a tola, black, and each who had it gave, for all the poor are piteous to the poor. But when I asked, in my friend's household here hath any peradventure ever died, husband or wife or child or slave? They said, Oh, sister, what is this, you ask? The dead are very many, and the living few. So, with sad thanks, I gave the mustard back, and prayed of others. But the others said, Here is the seed, but we have lost our slave. Here is the seed, but our good man is dead. Here is some seed, but he that sowed it died, between the rain-time and the harvesting. Ah, sir, I could not find a single house Where there was mustard seed and none had died. Therefore I left my child, who would not suck nor smile, Beneath the wild vines by the stream, To seek thy face and kiss thy feet, And pray where I might find this seed and find no death, If now indeed my baby be not dead, as I do fear, And as they said to me. My sister, my Thou hast found, the master said, searching for what none finds, that bitter balm I had to give thee. He thou lovest slept dead on thy bosom yesterday. Today thou know'st the whole wide world weeps with thy woe. The grief which all hearts share grows less for one. Lo, I would pour my blood if it could stay thy tears, and win the secret of that curse WHICH MAKES SWEET LOVE OUR ANGUISH, AND WHICH DRIVES O'ER FLOWERS AND PASTURES TO THE SACRIFICE, AS THESE DUMB BEASTS ARE DRIVEN, MEN THEIR LORDS. I SEEK THAT SECRET. BURY THOU THY CHILD. SO ENTERED THEY THE CITY SIDE BY SIDE, THE HERDSMAN AND THE PRINCE, WHAT TIME THE SUN GILDED slow SONA'S DISTANT STREAM, and threw long shadows down the street, And through the gate where the King's men kept watch. But when these saw our Lord bearing the lamb, The guards stood back, The market-people drew their wains aside, In the bazaar buyers and sellers stayed The war of tongues to gaze on that mild face, The smith with lifted hammer in his hand, Forgot to strike, the weaver left his web, The scribe his scroll, The money-changer lost his count of cowries. From the unwatched rice, Shiva's white bull fed free. The wasted milk ran o'er the lotta, While the milkers watched The passage of our lord moving so meek, With yet so beautiful a majesty. But most the women gathering in the doors asked, who is this that brings the sacrifice so graceful and peace-giving as he goes what is his caste? whence hath he eyes so sweet can he be chakra or the Devaraj? and others said it is the holy man who dwelleth with the rishis on the hill but the lord paced in meditation lost thinking alas for all my sheep which have no shepherd wandering in the night with none to guide them BLEATING BLINDLY TOWARD THE KNIFE OF DEATH, AS THESE DUMB BEASTS WHICH ARE THEIR KIN. THEN SOMEONE TOLD THE KING, THERE COMETH HERE A HOLY HERMIT, BRINGING DOWN THE FLOCK WHICH THOU DIDST BID TO CROWN THE SACRIFICE. THE KING STOOD IN HIS HALL OF OFFERING. ON EITHER HAND THE WHITE-ROBED BRAHMANS RANGED, MUTTERING THEIR MANTRAS, FEEDING STILL THE FIRE WHICH ROARED UPON THE MIDMOST ALTAR. There from scented woods flickered bright tongues of flame, hissing and curling as they licked the gifts of ghee and spices and the soma juice, the joy of Indra. Round about the pile a slow, thick, scarlet streamlet smoked and ran, sucked by the sand, but ever rolling down, the blood of bleating victims. One such lay, a spotted goat, long-horned, its head bound back with munja-grass. At its stretched throat the knife pressed by a priest who murmured, This, dread gods, of many yajnas cometh as the crown from Bimbasara. Take ye joy to see the spurted blood, and pleasure in the scent of rich flesh roasting mid the fragrant flames. Let the king's sins be laid upon this goat, and let the fire consume them, burning it. For now I strike, but Buddha softly said, Let him not strike, great king, And therewith loosed the victim's bonds, None staying him, so great his presence was. Then, craving leave, he spake of life, Which all can take, but none can give, Life, which all creatures love and strive to keep, Wonderful, dear, and pleasant unto each, Even to the meanest, yea, a boon to all where pity is, for pity makes the world, Soft to the weak, and noble for the strong. Unto the dumb lips of his flock he lent sad, pleading words, Showing how man, who prays for mercy to the gods, Is merciless, being as god to those. Albeit all life is linked and kin, And what we slay have given meek tribute of the milk and wool, And set fast trust upon the hands which murder them. Also he spake of what the holy books do surely teach, How that at death some sink to bird and beast, And these rise up to man in wanderings of the spark Which grows purged flame. So were the sacrifice new sin, if so the fated passage of a soul be stayed. Nor, spake he, shall one wash his spirit clean by blood, nor gladden gods, being good with blood, nor bribe them, being evil, nay, nor lay upon the brow of innocent bound beasts one hair's weight of that answer all must give, for all things done amiss or wrongfully, alone, each for himself, reckoning with that the fixed arithmetic of the universe, which meeteth good for good and ill for ill, measure for measure, unto deeds, words, thoughts, watchful, aware, implacable, unmoved, making all futures fruits of all the pasts. Thus spake he, breathing words so piteous, With such high lordliness of ruth and right, The priests drew back their garments O'er the hands crimsoned with slaughter, And the King came near, Standing with clasped palms, reverencing Buddha, While still our Lord went on, Teaching how fair this earth were If all living things be linked in friendliness Of common use of foods, bloodless and pure, The golden grain, bright fruits, Sweet herbs which grow for all, The waters wan, sufficient drinks and meats, Which, when these heard, The might of gentleness so conquered them. The priests themselves scattered their altar-flames, And flung away the steel of sacrifice, And through the land next day Passed a decree proclaimed by criers, And in this wise graved on rock and column. Thus the King's will is— there hath been slaughter for the sacrifice, and slaying for the meat. But henceforth none shall spill the blood of life, nor taste of flesh, Seeing that knowledge grows, and life is won, and mercy cometh to the merciful. So ran the edict, and from those days forth Sweet peace hath spread between all living kind, Man and the beasts which serve him, And the birds of all those banks of Gunga where our Lord taught with his saintly pity and soft speech. End of section forty four. Recording by Bob Gonzalez, Tampa, Florida.